Are we entering the power of friendship right now? Yeah, this is the power of friendship. You know, I want to bring up Garo from Naruto. Mm. Like that's the, a good one. The, the child who was literally born, everyone thought he was cursed. He was literally like hunted down by his own f- living family members. And it wasn't until Naruto, even after getting his ass completely kicking, dragging down to him, and using nothing but his chin because they're both just exhausted from fighting. And it's yeah. like, because like he had a similar way around, but it's like you know what? All he needed was that one friend to reach out. He's like, bro. I could be that friend for you. And it, and it almost like broke his mind. He's just like, you've seen me literally like put people in sand coffins. He's like, eh, we can get over that. <laughs> they're, they're not main characters. Just a reminder, this is a spoiler heavy podcast. Different series that require a spoiler warning will be in the description. Hi, everybody, and welcome to yet another episode of Gaming Theater Podcast. Today's episode is going to be based upon an interesting little little trope that we bump into once in a while called the heel face turn. Now, before we get started, let's introduce a couple of the guests who also have a bit of a wrestling background to our little show for today. And once again, my name is Leo. I am the Geek Scorpio. Hi, my name is Steven. I am Lord Nibble Snarf or just Nibble Snarf or whatever you want to call me. Uh, yes, and I am a part of this podcast, a bit of bet wrestling background as your current heavyweight champion for Idaho Wrestle Club. To the right of me is Miss Semi. Also known as Montastical or Paris Duramio. And I am the voice of Wrestle Club that you will hear on commentating. And I am Ben, aka El Penguin, who also has the wrestling background. Mine is just getting the crowd all hyped. And being a wrestler. And that. I hype them through violence. No, you don't. That's my job. Well, they like it when I counterattack. That's fair. (laughs) All right, all right. Now, with that being said, let's take a quick trip to the Magical Merch Booth. Here we are at the Magical Birch Booth, and you probably mentioned it a couple of times. Even the Magical Birch Booth likes to spend some time checking out the Wrestle Club. Now, to let us know a bit more about what the Wrestle Club actually is, let's go out to Moon Testicle on that. Idaho Wrestle Club was established in 2015 by our very own Lasso Garibay. We have been active ever since then. We put on monthly shows with our wide roster of wrestlers. We always have events that we post on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Idaho Wrestle Club. Follow us also on twitter.com slash Wrestle Club, instagram.com slash Wrestle Club. Find us on YouTube, youtube.com slash Wrestle Club. And when you get there, like, subscribe, comment, and share our videos. It helps with our algorithm so more people in the Treasure Valley and beyond can know that we exist. And hopefully you'll come on by and watch a show. All right. And then I'll make sure to get all the links in the description. And in the meantime, let us get back to the show. So with this, what we've been talking about is the heel face turn. Now, this is actually a sort of trope that you will see in different kinds of storylines and such. Before we get into what this actually is, because it's going to be related to wrestling, these wrestlers are going to explain what the origins of that phrase comes from, the heel face turn. 
I guess that's going to be me who's going to probably do that, considering that I am Russell Club's biggest heel, who was also one of the first year faces for the company. Uh, so basically what the definition of a heel face turn is pretty much what it sounds like. A heel is, by definition, a bad guy. In your stories, most bad guys are typically heels. Heels are not a term that is like, this guy's irredeemably evil, this guy's ultra-violent evil, yada, yada, yada. No, it is a term that is just generalized for anybody who does bad things. And they don't care that they do bad things. That is usually what a heel is. Heels also apply to people who are willing to cheat. That's still a heel. Mm -hmm. Now, a face, on the other hand, though, a face is the opposite of a heel. A face is your character who would range from neutral good to lawful good. No matter what it is that they're doing, it is always in the word of good. Could be chaotic, sure, but the fact at the end of the day is it is still for good. So it doesn't matter, once again, what type of good it is they're doing, as long as it's good, and as long as they've got a good heart about it, they're a face. And so even if it's not so much the actions that they take, it's sort of the result of said actions that they take. Correct. The, the things that make them, mm -hmm. in this case, good, or the face of it. Mm-hmm. And faces usually try to do whatever it takes to stay within the rules and guidelines for the most part. Like there are some gray areas in there. There's always going to be a gray area though when it comes to a oh, face. Yeah. But that's but that's another term that we have to bring up as well. Because if we're going to talk heel and face turns, which I mean, let's be real here. There are some people who could you could look at a heel and then it's like, well, they're still doing some good things. So that make them chaotic? Yes, it would as a matter of mm -hmm. fact. We call that a tweener. And a tweener basically means is that they're willing to go out of the way. So, as in between these two, mm -hmm. they're willing to go between those. They blur the lines between the good guy and the bad guy. Stone Cold Steve Austin, The Rock, just to name a couple. Eddie Guerrero. Eddie Guerrero was a hundred percent a tweener. Mm -hmm. Like so, basically, just like anybody who was willing to do what it took just to stay on top. But again, they're like. Hey, I have this hard moral compass that I'm not willing to break. Like, I'm not going to strike a woman, for example, mm -hmm. even though I have this chair. And ultimately, I know I'm a bad guy type deal. But if like, there's a gal who's in there, I'm going to smack him with the chair. I'm not going to do that. Instead, this other guy who's willing to do it will come in and hit the chair, hit the gal with the chair. You take the chair out of them and you lay that guy out. That makes you a tweener because you're willing to stop the other guy who was actually far more evil than you are. That's what makes you mm -hmm. a tweener. And the fans will love you or hate you out of the way. Which, of course, you're going to see some characters that get named in this podcast that I would consider tweeners, not necessarily faces or heels. So mm -hmm. Now, as a, as a storytelling motive, what we apply the heel face ace turn is, basically when your storyline has someone who is the villain of the story, and then at some point switches sides to, become, to join up with the heroes of the story. Now, this can vary for different reasons on that. A lot of people's favorite characters tend to start off this way, where they start off as a villain and then they turn to a hero character. And well, there's a different reasons for some of these, that, and we'll go through the list of what a couple of these guys are. In general, though, these all fall under different examples. The sort of the big thing that you want to go through is what determines that where they're going at with this and how the writer or storyteller wants to play with these is dependent on more of the how and the why of what the storyteller of why the storyteller decided this hero villain needs to become a hero. So here's a few of those examples. One of the ones I, I really enjoy, which is kind of an interesting one, called The Mutual Alliance, or The Enemy of My Enemy. Sun Tzu's Art of War, basically. These are not art of ones that are not, that start off as a villain, but there's something else that's even bigger that they need to deal with. And so, yeah, we'll play nice with the heroes on this because whatever that is, is a much bigger problem for that. Or as that old saying goes, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Mm -hmm. 
in fact, uh, one that I really like, which is sort of um, the way that goes, there used to be a movie, I think it was made in the mid to late 80s, called Enemy Mine. No, Enemy Mind. Enemy Mine. Enemy Mine. Mine? Yeah. yeah. M-I-N-E. M-I-N-E. So Enemy Mine. Right. So what it is is that there was about a human and this alien race, which their races have both been at war in uh, this giant space war. These two guys, two of these soldiers, crash land in the middle of this... Uh, of this abandoned planet, I think it was. Yeah, uh, abandoned to an extent. It was more of a uh, um, without like I, I mean, it's a it's a movie that came out in nineteen eighty five. So I'm just gonna go ahead and spoil the shit out of it here. So it oh, was yeah. essentially this has always was been a, a spoiler heavy. Yeah. Now, so it doesn't. So matter. I mean, spoilers for anybody who actually wants to hear this. If you don't want to hear this, skip ahead to about maybe two minutes from now. Fast forward, <laughs> no. Yeah, but oh. the the premise behind Enemy Mind was is that they landed on this planet. This quote-unquote uninhabitable planet even though it was inhabitable because if it was uninhabitable that they would have been freaking dead by the time the crash landed because no oxygen but the fact is is that they landed on this planet that didn't have any form of civilization it was it was presumed that there was nothing there but it turns out oh lo and behold there actually was something here there was a mining facility here that was being used to harbor slaves basically because there was this pirate gang organization that ended up uh, kidnapping aliens and was putting them to work, which is where your mutual alliance thing you're talking about comes into play here, Leo. Because this, mm-hmm. you know, with the with the premise behind the enemy mind, which, by the way, if nobody's ever seen that, I do recommend seeing it. It's a really good movie. It is a very good One of Dennis Quaid's best, like next to Inner Space. That's one of Dennis Quaid's best. Um, but the premise behind the film was is that, like what you said, it's like these two guys crash land. Obviously, they're a warring race. But at the end of the day, it comes down to when your survival is key you start to realize you kind of need each other mm-hmm. and that's where the mutual alliance plays in the enemy of my enemy is my friend in this mm-hmm. case for the first half of the film the enemy turns out to be survivability they need to team up to survive against the natures the natural disasters of the world whether it be meteors crashing the planets big weird tongue monsters coming out of the ground grabbing a hold of them and, and trying to eat them you know, just that sort of stuff. They eventually start building a trust and realizing that this two races can work together. And it ends up being like you have the bad guy, which was the alien race. And I, I honestly don't know who technically was the bad guy in this one. Because they never really instigate or say who the instigator was to the war. Mm. So it could have been the humans could have been the bad guy. So in the interest of fairness, we'll just say they're both assholes and they both were fighting each other. So, but in this situation, that's basically what it comes down to is like the bad guy who obviously is the, like, you know, they're portraying the aliens, the bad guy. He's got the gun. He's got the weaponry. He's got the medical supplies. He's got the, he's got the human and the human is his prisoner of war type deal. But again, halfway through the film, they start realizing they need each other to survive. And then of course, after that, you find out that, oh, this alien race is actually able to reproduce asexually. So that's what happens. The, the, uh, the guy ends up having a kid, the alien ends up having a kid, and the human realizes that the alien is dying after he has the kid, so he takes the kid in. The mutual alliance then turns into a, now you have a father of this, technically this alien race who was your bad guy, and it shifts the gears, and they have to put in the, always the bigger bad, because there's always a bigger bad in these type of movies, guys. <laughs> and that's exactly where the pirates come in. The pirates come in, and they kidnap the kid, and they put him in the slave mines. So... Mm. 
But that's kind of what that is. Yeah, and you will see that plotline storyline for Enemy Mine pop up a lot, but the original movie, which is based on the short story, is amazing. For yes, it. 100% recommend it. But yeah, Alliances is what sort of can put them together. Um, another one that I like is sometimes... Um, did you guys remember Danny Phantom back in the day? Yes, yes, I did. Towards the end where I believe of the series... Oh! Are you the, talking about the finale of it? Yeah, because I believe the last big bad that Danny has to deal with is himself um, from the future. No, actually, that w- I think that was more like halfway in. Yeah, because I know so, he has to work with he uh, Vlad Masters, no, his the 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 no, old man um, works with him. I do know what you're talking about because actually that part of it where he faces the future himself, that mm-hmm. one would be more of a face to heel turn because that one is just like Danny was a good kid, but then at some point he just got corrupted about like the whole ghostliness in him, mm-hmm. and it just made him a bad guy. But no, the finale. I'm glad you mentioned that. Because well, this is more actually... for Vlad Masters. Vlad Masters, the villain, yeah. was a major villain through most of the series. Mm-hmm. I was going to get into that because I remember because um, Vlad Masters was actually trying to make like a ghost meteor mm-hmm. hit the planet, and it would have destroyed both like the Earth and the Ghost Realm. So because of that, Vlad Masters was an enemy of not only Danny but everybody in the Ghost Realm, which made the which made Danny make one of the biggest power moves of those like. We can make this, I can make this meter like phase through it, but I'm only like one ghost. And literally all his enemies came out of the ghost realm. It's just <laughs> like, this is our one-time alliance besides Christmas. Besides the Christmas special. Besides Christmas. It's just like, no, no, Christmas. All ghosts are just like, no, we're cool. We're cool. It's Christmas. <laughs> kind of like Halloween and Buffy Vampire Slayer. But it was so great because he's literally around with like, there's like the evil lunch lady, just like the literal bounty hunter trying to get him. The box ghost! <laughs> <laughs> I am the box ghost. Fox Ghost is hilarious. Yeah, but it's like, no, just like Vlad Masters literally messed up so much. Uh, he made enemies with every ghost in existence, and that made, made everyone friends for that one moment. Ev- boy, oh boy. I claim, I claim Box Ghost as a gimmick. <laughs> well, he does one thing. <laughs> does one thing. Um, another uh, interesting video game-based example of alliances is uh, Chrono Trigger. In Chrono Trigger, the secret hidden bad guy in that is Magus, uh, which is a villain for most of the game that you go through. Uh, when you get to the point of dealing with Magus, Magus decides, screw it, I need your help to deal with Lavos, which is a much bigger threat. Most of these alliance-based stories, there's something even worse, and I need your help with this. There's always a bigger bad. There's always yeah, mm-hmm. a bigger bad, and that's how these stories generally go when you have these alliances that pop up. And I remember that one, too. But it's like, mm-hmm. then after you get Magus on your team, you start to find out a little bit more about Magus's backstory when you go to Zeal in the past. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. There's, like I said, always a bigger bad, but Lavos ultimately was the biggest bad of them all, because Lavos is literally the time devourer he shows up, and no matter what part of the world time he shows up in, he's always set to destroy this one particular point in time. So, bigger bad. Another good example of that one, if anybody, it's a classic in the SNES games and hard to find, is um, Super Mario RPG for the SNES. Mm-hmm. Oh my. Bowser turns sides and to deal with you. Yeah. By the way, Bowser is such a cool fighter to have on your team. You get Bowser pretty early on too, which I, yeah. I always thought that was pretty cool about that because it basically, because if I remember correctly, Bowser is the third or the fourth person to join your team uh, he's the last one but there's only five characters oh yeah you're right yeah, yeah yeah he is the last one to join your team and then you're like once you get him you basically don't ever take him off your team because he's literally your brute force and the fact mm. that when you get the mario glove he just chucks mario at the enemy instead of the uh, instead of a doll <laughs> it still works it's still good <laughs> hey d- d- what's the damage of my enemy who turned friend you know it's that it's that age old <laughs> quote of uh, D D. hey what's the damage of a flame of a flaming thief 
Oh, I don't know. What? Oh, oh, go on. One thing that I rediscovered Legend of Dragoon, and you guys let me thinking, there's a character called Kongol, and mm-hmm. he's the last of a race called Gigantos. And when you first meet him, he, you know, he's a big powerhouse. He's like Andre the Giant mixed with the big show, mixed with big cast, all wrestlers, and he's formidable. But when you beat him and he runs away, Eventually, you find him again, and he has a change of heart, and he joins your story. And then you learn that he is just a product of Emperor Dole, who is the bigger, badder guy, mm-hmm. who, come to find out, he was a tool in killing his family, but he didn't realize it, if I'm remembering this correctly. I'm still playing mm-hmm. through the game. But you get this big powerhouse who wanted to smash your face in, is suddenly now your ally and friend and you team up to take on the emperor to defeat god essentially the jrpg it's always god oh god yes <laughs> and it's like you you even get him a, a dragoon spirit mm. um you show him a sense of family and whatnot so in my opinion that's a good heel face turn mm-hmm. another and- one too would be a uh, chrono cross as well links who spends most of his most of the game chasing after, if I remember correctly, it's either Sergey or Serge. I can't. I forget what the name of the kid is. The the main character is, but the uh, um, he's chasing after the girl uh, mm-hmm. because you know, spoiler again, she's heavily involved in everything that's going on. He knows this, and he knows that if he kills her, he can stop the whole thing. But he comes off as this giant asshole bad guy throughout a good chunk of the game until you finally get to that point where it's like, oh, you're. I see what you're doing here. You're trying to do what you think is right to do that, which comes into that, into that area of you're not really a bad guy. You're a bad guy. You're doing bad things, but you know, you're, you're kind of a tweener at this point because your reason why you're doing this is because you know that if you stop this, it stops the bigger bad that's coming, which again, anybody who's played Chrono Cross or Chrono Trigger knows it's always fucking Lavos. <laughs> Giant world destroying thing. Yeah, we might want to put a kibosh on what we're working with. Let's deal with that problem. Yep. So those are ones that are done as a mutual alliance when they're working together. Friendship, maybe, sometimes. Not always, though. Sometimes it's just uh, this is the circumstance, and then it gets uh, connected for it better. Now, another one that I kind of brought up and I was getting to anyway, which would be, which is an interesting one that you'd see kind of more often now than you used to. It's basically being the bad guy just kind of sucks for you. It's the case where you're the bad guy, and honestly, being this bad guy, your life kind of sucks. A good example for that is Megamind. Oh my god. Oh <laughs> the perfect. ultimate face turn. Yeah, perfect example of that one, Megamind. Megamind's an amazing story. But yeah, Megamind is this is basically for, mo- and they tell you that in the storyline, for most of his childhood and bringing up, he's just treated as the bad guy, so he decides to lean in and becomes the bad guy of the story. Like, even though he was not the best at it. Even though he's not the best at it, he is the villain. But the thing is that he creates Titan and Titan it turns out to be much worse than, than he's ever dealt with. That's when he turns aside and goes, oh no, I got to deal with this problem. And so he switches over, but that's mostly, be- and remains that for the most of the movie, but that's because, frankly, being a bad guy sucked for him. Mm-hmm. And then, like, what was it, like, the one time he finally got rid of his enemy, he's like, huh, mm-hmm. my entire life was just to kind of take care of you because you are just kind of a douchey thorn in my side. <laughs> and, well, I mean, I got everything. 
I don't know what to do now. <laughs> yeah. So it's like it's it's like it's like being a bad guy almost gave him a purpose at the time, but it's also like one where he's like, no, I, I want better than this. That's where you have an interesting case. It's essentially, yeah, now I'm done being a bad guy. This kind of sucks. Let me do something else. I have a great example. Mm-hmm. See? Kratos from God of War. Oh, yeah. He spent three games. So the first game, spoiler for anyone who hasn't played God of War, just skip like five minutes. Heckin' thing spoiler. Because I'm long-winded and I'm going to keep going, okay? <laughs> The first game, you're, it starts, you're in a battle, you're as the Spartan, you're going to lose, you put, you cry to Ares, Ares, uh, I will be your servant if you give me the strength to devour, devour, defeat my enemies. Okay, and then he gets tricked by Ares to kill his home and his family, and he, you know, he's like, oh crap, what did I do? And that's when he gets cursed to have the ashes of his family stick to his skin. That's where the white skin comes from. Mm. But then from game one to three, he makes it his mission to take out Olympus. And he does. And he gets skewered through his gut again by the blade of Olympus. And then you just, at the end of the third game, you just see a bloody trail. But then... When it cuts to the new God of War that came out in 2018, you see the old Kratos and you're like, what the heck happened? How did you live? And it kind of came to a point. There's actually a really great point in the end of the first game where he's on a cliff. He defeated Ares and he's like, well, I did it. Now what? So he goes to throw himself off the cliff and that's when Athena saves him and makes him the God of War. But then he just continues all the ruckus until the end of the third game. And then we go to the 2018 game and we find out he found Faye, his wife. He had a child, Atreus. So that gave him, it turned him a whole 180 to being good because he had something that he loved and he cared for. And even through the Ragnarok, you could see him fighting those urges to just absolutely decimate everything because he wanted to protect his boy but he shoot you see him show restraint to stay in that path to not go back to what he was when he was in greece so if i want to say that is a huge heel face turn that is Mm -hmm. i clap for you kratos Mm -hmm. and especially for what we're talking about right now where it's because of when he was the god of war, kind of suck. Like I think at the end of the first game, he ends up accidentally like decimating some of his own family. Like it's a total Greek tragedy. If I no, that happened. wasn't in the first game. That's literally what happened in the beginning of the game. Is that mm. he got tricked into it, and then Ares promised to bring the family back if he became his disciple. And of course, Ares, being you know the the god of war at that time, was obviously lying about that because he couldn't bring her back. That's mm. that would have been Hades' realm. So, but you know. Kratos, Kratos being uh, stricken with grief, obviously went with a, oh, you can bring my my wife and my kid back? Sure, let's do it. I don't care. Let's do it. And I mean, I, I don't know if I would say necessarily that Kratos would be a great face turn, to be honest with you, because at the, same, at the end of the day, he still does a lot of stuff that I would put him more in a really good tweener spot because he does still do kind of, he still has some bad traits about him. Like there's a lot oh, of yeah. times in the story where there's times like, even when he's being encouraged, Hey, you should do what's right. 
and help your boy out, and he doesn't want to. And it's like, and I get that. That's the inter- inner turmoil because he's afraid that his son will turn out like him. But mm-hmm. at the same time, too, that's 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 more tweener aspects than it is like do than yeah, being that- a face. I don't know. I like I said I don't disagree with you, but I would I would say maybe kind of more of a tweener personally from mm-hmm. my point of view. But that's just my opinion. You know what I mean? But I like I you want a good face turn though. I'll give you one. You guys are gonna love Ooh. this. This oh, is going to be a good one. Is this the same realm of this where it's they just had a shitty time as a bad guy? You would know this because you watched the entirety of it, Mr. Breaking Bad, Jesse Pinkman. He had a face turn, a major face turn, because throughout all the seasons that he went through, he basically was constantly doing uh, crime, constantly doing drugs, gets both of his girlfriends that he's with killed, has major... Oh, Oh, yeah, he, like, this guy had major problems. And towards the end of it all, he starts to realize that his consciousness is starting to fucking weigh on him, and he doesn't like that. He's starting to realize, this isn't the life I want to live. And... It's not until the series finale where he finally gets himself free of this of the of the drug trade, gets himself free of the crime, gets himself free of all that. That right there is an excellent face turn because he literally goes down the path of evil just to finally get it all off of him and basically become the good guy. Another good one too that I could also point out as well uh, is uh, I would have to say. Nah, he's still a tweener. I was going to say Vegeta, but no, he's still a tweener. So Vegeta has a special case, and we'll get to him in a, in a minute. Still a tweener. <laughs> well, yes, but also, no, but I'll get, again, we'll get to him in a second. Actually, Dare, Daredevil's villains. What the fuck was his name? Which one? Bullseye? Kingpin? No, Bullseye. Bullseye? No, Punisher? No, not Punisher. Punisher is Punisher is 100% evil. Or not evil, tweener. Punisher is 100% tweener. Okay, so... We'll leave Punisher out on this one non- because that's a whole different realm. That's an anti-hero, and we'll okay. get to those in another podcast for it. I, I think it's bull. I think it's Bullseye because I remember correctly. Bullseye ends up like he knows he's fucking insane, and he's always out there killing people. And he's like he doesn't like that he's insane, so he tries to actually get therapeutic help to you know fix his problems. No, not Bullseye. So the thing is, who was it I'm thinking be- of? Um, is it the Kingpin? It's not the kingpin. Kingpin's no, always kingpin. evil. He's always Sandman. evil. Sandman. Sandman turns. Yeah, Sandman. Thank you. That's the one. He got tired of being a villain for so long. Eventually, Sandman does turn and become a hero and starts working that is route that way. Yeah, that's the one I was thinking of. The thing is, he's a villain for between the comics from the for some of the earlier Spider-Mans all the way up until fairly recently. I want to say the last ten or fifteen years after the third Spider-Man movie, where they ran with the same idea that Sam Raimi did, which was Sandman just kind of fell into this lot and doesn't want to be a villain. Mm-hmm. And, and that's so then I've there. always liked that version of Sandman, to be honest with you, because mm-hmm. that's like, it's kind of nice to have that tragic villain. The one it's like, you mm-hmm. know, his life kind of sucks. He's doing what he can to survive. And then he mm-hmm. also knows he, he doesn't like what he's doing. And even though, yeah, like this version of Sandman was the one that killed uncle Ben because uncle Ben always has to die in order for Spider-Man to mm-hmm. exist. Um, you know, if anyone's watched the across uh, the, the any of the Spider Verse movies or knows about the Spider Verse anything, it's someone tragically has to have. Yeah, to it's just it. it's usually just Uncle Ben because that's just kind of the thing that they always did for like the longest mm-hmm. time. But I mean, but the point being though, it's like it's always someone. But in that version, that Sandman was the one who killed Uncle Ben, and he was he actually did live with that grief. He did not like that. He did not like the fact that he took this guy's life, and then when he finally gets the chance to admit to it, he did. And he tells him, he like, he straight up tells Peter, I'm, I'm sorry that I did this. Like, he's actually really legitimately sorry. And the guy who acted this was like 
Mwah, magnifique. Like, he oh, nailed God, the yeah. role of Sandman mm-hmm. so well. He did. Oh, that guy was Thomas amazing. Sam now. He yeah. was amazing. I wish they would have done him more justice. Who was that, Leo? Thomas Hayden Church. Ah, that explains it. Good actor. So, yeah, those are the ones that you bump into on on that you know you see it more often nowadays because especially with older characters because you have that time that they can put in there this is a good uh, an area where sometimes it's a penance sort of thing it's they feel bad for what they're doing and they realize that a lot of their stuff is designed uh, around you know doing these dark and bad actions and th- that's where these uh, type of uh, heels come by they're or not you know, face heel turns it's essentially that they felt that they're livelihood just kind of sucked for them and then becomes it another famous example is how the grinch stole christmas oh man basically once the grinch realizes that it's not materialism for for a christmas it's everything else and it's mostly through the actions of um oh, what's her name Lucy? cindy lou who cindy, cindy, cindy lou who who is no more than two yes cindy lou is like all, cindy lou is the one that basically convinces him to to stick with this that people love and care about him so mm-hmm. he's just gonna quit <laughs> Actually, uh, I think another one. I was reading notes on this. Uh, what about Prince Zuko from the Avatar? So that's a different story, and oh. we'll, eh, we'll might as well start with that one right now. So this is your heel face turn due to redemption, and Zuko's amazing. It's a redemption arc from Avatar: The Last Ender. It's a complete redemption arc. The reason why I like Zuko's redemption arc so much is time. Uh, it weighs on him to switch sides, and he switches sides. First, temporarily, just a couple times, and it's not until I think book three when he decides that he needs to train the Avatar as for fire that he uh-huh. just stays with the team, where he does a full face turn. Man, I mean that's kind of necessary to be honest with you too, considering that it, it finally dawned upon him that his dad, who was just inherently evil and will never become good, just would never accept him. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's also misguided though, too. So, oh yeah, well. I think it's also one of those where just like, you know, even when he was on like a whole mission to like restore his old honor and just like, you know, he had, he had two influences. He had uh, the worst dad, but the best uncle. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Nothing beats Iroh. Iroh is honestly still one of the best uncles out there. Mm -hmm. Oh, he absolutely is. If you understand Iroh's arc, because Iroh does that too, but it happens off screen. Because Iroh is a general for the fire lord and he worked for his brother without question. Yep, And at some point, he gets thrown into the spirit realm for a little bit. When he gets out, that's what makes him change his whole perspective on everything. Which is why he wants to, to teach Zuko all of these other things, that you need all these other elements to balance your life and such. In fact, that's why he knows how to counter lightning usage, is because he learned it from watching the waterbenders yep. way mm-hmm. back in season one. And so he teaches it to Zuko, which Zuko uses it to defeat Azula. Who is Azula is evil through <laughs> Oh, oh yeah. Evil incarnate. Evil incarnate. He's like, should, should I make peace with my sister? No, she's crazy. We got to take her out. I mean, even like even the characters even say it too. It's like, are you sure that you want to do this? And he's like, yeah. Because that's the greater evil. Because there's always a greater evil. Mm-hmm. Like, if you don't take her out and you take out the, the Emperor of the Fire Kingdom, congratulations. You took out one bad guy, but you just triggered a villain for another villain. At some point, I need to work on this episode for a breakdown of Avatar The Last Airbender. Am I crazy like, that I always felt sorry for Azula? No. She had a... No. No. no she she actually a, had a tragic backstory. Like, mm-hmm. she, she was 100% groomed for that. Mm-hmm. All the things she had to endure, all that pressure, like... All that brainwashing and just raising, and she tur- she was turned into a monster. Mm-hmm. It's just, I mean, I'm not saying she didn't need to be taken out, but yeah. just just given those circumstances, it was just it was really tragic. But she still needed to be taken out. 
Yeah, they had different goals because uh, Zuko's main goal was to restore his honor and to basically get his father's love. But Zula had his father's love and always wanted to best Zuko. Yep. Basically, he would do anything for the kingdom. And that's what eventually that's what gets her the Azula mm-hmm. to lose her friends and get abandoned by Zuko and his uncle and abandoned by uh, her uncle as well. And most of that happened because her her mother dies. Mm-hmm. And that is the, that is the thing right there. It's, it's that saying mm-hmm. is that sometimes you. It's the old saying that I remember from Twisted Metal, and I think it wasn't exactly the quote. The, the quote itself was probably older than that, but it's like sometimes the mind bends to accept the reality that it is. Mm-hmm. But at some point, the mind bends so much that it snaps, mm-hmm. and that's what happened to her. And that's literally mm-hmm. what it is. Um, you know, here's here's another one too that a lot of people don't actually acknowledge or recognize, even though because like most of it's just due to the fact that the second movie was a straight to DVD type movie. But mm. Aladdin, Iago, yes, yes, oh my God. Iago in the first film spent a good chunk of like well actually all of all of it just being a heel. Oh, 100%. he was 100 yeah. heel all the way through. When he finally gets out of the lamp in the second one, he starts to realize maybe this isn't the life I want to be. Maybe this is. Uh, Kind of a cruddy life I'm living here. So what does he do? He seeks to find the redemption. He starts off with every single one of the main characters. Obviously, they don't trust him because it's Iago. Everyone knows that he is the pet of Jafar, the servant of Jafar. So that's another one right there that had a uh, redemption arc. That was actually pretty good. And at the end of it all, he ends up, quote unquote, sacrificing himself to save Aladdin so they can defeat Jafar. And, of course, obviously, he, he survives, because if he didn't survive, we wouldn't have the animated series where we get a whole <laughs> three seasons of Gilbert Gottfried's lovely voice. Yeah. Rest Glad in peace, man. Gilbert. Um, God rest your soul. But there's another one, too, I bet you guys probably didn't know. And this was a Cartoon Network show, which I actually love this show, but Ed, Ed, and Eddie. That's another one that actually had a redemption arc. Because throughout all of that show... Eddie, the uh, the short, stocky guy, the, who's not mm-hmm. the dummy, but the guy's always scheming, spends yeah. a good chunk of the season always trying to be like his brother because he thinks if he's like his brother, he's going to get that respect and the oh, admiration yes. of the entire oh, of the yes. But yes. when it finally gets to the point at the end of the show, he starts to realize maybe this isn't what I want to be. And, and I remember when the movie happens, the movie's literally his whole redemption. He starts kind of atoning for what he's been doing for all, all throughout that summer. And then when he gets to the end of it all, what happens? Well, he finally admits, I've been an asshole this whole entire time. I'm really sorry. Can you please give me another chance? Please forgive me. And all the kids of the cul-de-sac eventually are like, okay, we'll give you another chance. It's fine. you know. And they start to actually show him the love and admiration he had been looking for by just him being him. And not his brother. Right, because hmm. wasn't there also a huge part where they actually did visit his brother and the kids were there too? And it, it, it wasn't, weren't the kids also like impressed by Eddie's oldest brother? Yes. Yeah, because Eddie's and, oldest, and, every time they found out Eddie's oldest brother was coming in, uh, coming home from college, because I think his oldest brother was in college or something. I can't remember what the whole detail was. It was he obviously well, I thought he was he, in jail. No, nah, I don't think it was jail. I think it was. <laughs> I actually think the thing was is that his older brother actually was successful, but he was just he was one of those like I earned this by being me, but I'm like you know you got to go through life being cool mm-hmm. and that sort of and a he thing. He was he was cruel to his he was brother. He was yes, he, yes, he was. Oh my! You know what was kind of heartbreaking was literally like while Eddie was just trying to like connect his brother, it was like, hey man, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do this. Literally while he's getting his ass kicked in front of everybody. 
And it's like, why the hell are you begging for forgiveness on someone who's literally beating the shit out of you right now? Yep. And then that also, I think it also made everyone just realize it's like, no, Eddie's not a bad guy. It's just like his brother's a dick, and he's just he thinks he needs to be like his brother to get that same sort of respect. So yeah, I got I got a great one. All right, Harley lay it Quinn. on us. Which one? Harley Quinn. Harley Quinn. Mm. Harley Quinn is a good one. It's, I know. It, I know she is more of a tweener. Yeah, but she's an when you watch the the animated series and then you really see the progression of how he treated her oh. and like left her for dead, uh. and you read in the comments how like she had a spoiler alert for anyone. Just fast forward, mute, whatever. She got <laughs> pregnant, had a kid, left. Oh. She left the little girl Lucy with a family member, I think. Yeah, it was went back, and then I, the I Joker the Joker didn't even realize she was gone. Mm. And he, you know, did such horrible things to her. And then finally she had a, this is bad. I have, I have more self-worth than this. He doesn't actually care about me. I need to get away from him. I think Ivy helped out a lot of that though, too. Cause she, she found a friendship in Ivy and Ivy was the one who, cause I mean, Ivy being, of course, being like, no, humans in general are just fucking terrible. And Mm -hmm. that's just kind of how, like, like, and I always thought that was a pretty cool dynamic between the two. Cause I like, you know, you had Harlequin who was, you know, this, she had major Stockholm syndrome, always kind of had a screw loose to begin with. Cause you got to have a screw loose to think that the Joker is worth chasing after, but that's the Stockholm syndrome right there. Um, To eventually befriend a woman who is like, humans are fucking awful, man. Like I want, I want all humans dead basically. So it depends on your canon um on which way this goes there is one canon that sam's talking about where it's somewhere in one of the comic series where all this happens in the original animated series what happens is that he gets she ends up getting what's known as florence nightingale syndrome fall uh which is a syndrome where a nurse mm-hmm. will fall in love with the oh. patients that's right yeah that's what it was now what will happen is that and it's kind of nice because batman doesn't treat harley quinn as entirely a bad person there's a famous episode where he needs harley's help for something that the joker did helps her out and at the end gives him a, gives her a gift of a like a, a pink dress that she never thought she could get because she was in jail yep like, i remember that and he goes yeah just as a reminder i've had bad days too and i get it so here you go and that's the sort of the thing is um harley quinn's story is more tragedy than not and mm-hmm. depends on how much the joker is twisting it her mind that makes it a so she goes from, in most canons, yeah, she ends up a type of redemption and turning. Um, mm-hmm. In some canons, though, um, it is because of the actions taken by either a nicer version of Batman or or Poison Ivy, which this sort of um, brings up a, another reason why the uh, redemption arc happens to become characters, they do, or not redemption, but uh, another heel face turn, which is the power of friendship. Basically, people just becoming friends, and they're like, you know what? This is pretty cool. I, I want to be part of this friendship in this this group. So I guess I have to be good now. Oh, my mind's going through so many animes right now. That's a common one. That's a oh, it's yeah. a it's a super common one for animes. That's that's almost mm-hmm. a staple in today's anime. Well, yeah, it's the it power really of friendship, literally. Are we entering the power of friendship right now? Yeah, this is the power of friendship. You know, I want to bring up Garo from Naruto. Mm. Like that's the, a good one. The, the child who was literally born, everyone thought he was cursed. He was literally like Haunted down by his own living family members. And it wasn't until Naruto, even after getting his ass completely kicking, dragging down to him and using nothing but his chin because they're both just exhausted from fighting. And it's like, because like he had a similar way around, but it's like, you know what? All he needed was that one friend to reach out. He's like, bro, 
I could be that friend for you. And, and it almost like broke his mind. He's just like, you've seen me literally like put people in sand coffins. He's like, eh, we can get over that. <laughs> they're, they're not main characters. <laughs> Another one too, actually, like if we're going to talk, if we're going to talk Naruto is actually mm-hmm. would be Sasuke as well. Um, oh we, my God. If you get right down to it, Sasuke was a heel face heel. Yeah. He, honestly, I'm sorry, he, face heel. Face turns what he was, I, but I yeah. feel like Sasuke for the longest time would have been like the actually, I think he'd be like the perfect tweener. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, because he's face, then he's heel, then he's ally, then he's enemy, then he's rogue. Because he, he's always mm-hmm. jumping back and forth. He was, he was up until the end of Naruto, he was more or less a tweener, but then at the end of Naruto, when they started Boruto, he pretty much mm-hmm. has gone full face at that point. So he's, oh, yeah. he's, he's but- solidified now as a face. Oh yeah, but I also remembered in uh, in Shippuden, we're just like, no, there was an entire point where he was with the Akatsuki and was a straight up terrorist to his own village, and it's yep. like, oh no, I'm go- I'm gonna literally like murder everybody at this point, I'm like, oh, oh, young child, and sometimes these face heel turns are just a revolving door at some point. <laughs> well, I was gonna say another one too. If you want to talk like the power of friendship as well, is mm-hmm. um is and we've actually talked about this in the past is the epic of Gilgamesh. Gilgamesh is another one that ends up going from being a bad guy to being far more accepting thanks to his friendship with uh, Enkidu. Because Enkidu was the thing that was created to kill him, but instead befriended him. They befriended each other. And then Gilgamesh started to start becoming a little bit nicer. And he started mellowing out. I mean, he was still an asshole at the end of the day. (laughs) But he was far less of an asshole because he started to realize that he could have a friend. That he could have everything. And then Ishtar showed up and killed Enkidu and right back to square one but that's another one yeah that's another one another uh one that's done through friendship which is one of my favorite series but uh, on there is jackie chan adventures yep toru that's a good is, one toru. Uh, toru is a henchman toru. For... oh toru <laughs> so toru is this big henchman and sumo wrestler up until the end of season one he decides to join up with with jackie chan's gang also fiction 13 the place where jackie works also has free donut fridays which you know I get to hang out, and he becomes like their closest friends and ally. I think I almost remembered a big part of that was the fact that um, he ended up failing a mission, and it's just like, oh no, he was straight abandoned by his crew, and the one who was healing him up was Uncle, and it just like the concept of them going back and just like Toru, and he's there in his sling, dusting things off. Oh hey guys, I uh, I've been hanging out with Uncle a lot lately. He's a really great guy. <laughs> yep. Yes. Oh my Actually, god. Uh, so, Toru, Toru is a great character. I just loved his character in general. He really is. Actually, it also kind of reminded me, like, uh, like we mentioned Vegeta. So I was like, you know, Goku's kind of the king of just, like, bringing in his enemies. And then he's just like, you want to raise my son? You want to hang out with family game night? And it's like, huh. And at this point, I think most of the enemies that literally tried destroying the planet are probably better than he is at this point. Because they're yeah. not as incompetent. It's, um... There's an old story, Japanese story to, about that, which they kind of... Yeah, I was about to say. Go ahead, Leo. Um, I wish I remembered the name of this guy, but essentially, he spends uh, a good port. He has to go to the this island of ogres, and he spent. And every time he bumps into a fight with somebody, he just basically makes them his friends and move on. (laughs) And by the time he gets to the end, he has like four uh, allies and companions on the through the power of friendship. It's like. Uh, I wish I remembered the name of that story. <laughs> oh my god, I have a great one. I can't remember this damn dog's name. <laughs> I, I have a really, really obscure one. Okay. But I loved this anime as a kid. 
Okay. I don't know if anyone else has ever heard of this anime because I've never met anybody who's ever watched this anime. It's called Ginga Detsetsu Weed or Silver Fang Legend Weed. And it is a whole anime about basically a dog civil war. I've I mm. watched it once. I yes, just I've never seen it. Can't, can't say it. I know it yes, exists. So it. This is not a free dream. It's like I said, yes, I loved it. Oh my god, I'll make you watch it one day, my love. But there is a character, so it's these little little Shiba Inus versus little army of them, which are the good guys, versus this giant Great Dane who ha- who are it's the bad guys who are trying to kill all the good guys to take over this um, valley. So there's this little oh he is so cute. He's a bird hound i forgot what like a springer spaniel or something and his name is gb well there is a raid and they capture this other dog and it's a big tosa inu and if you know what a tosa inu dog is it is basically japan's fighting dog so they're the ones they do the fight sports with you know, all that stuff well gb is just like a lovable, lovable goober and he's just nice and sweet to everybody so he's like showing this guy friendship. He's like, hey, you haven't eaten. Here, get, have some food. And he's like, and the other dog's like, you do know I'm not going to be your friend, right? Even if you give me food. And he's like, yeah, but you got to eat, right? <laughs> he's, like, well, I, he's like, well, I, I don't like bird. And he's like, oh, that's okay. I'll go see if I can find you a snake or some fish or something. And he trots off. And he brings him back the food. And he shows him friendship. And you just see like this. This grizzled-looking fighting dog who just wants to maul. fight everything and maul everything. You see him soften up to where there's actually a point where he goes on the good guy's behalf to face the big Great Dane dog, Hogan. And you just see this scene, and he's walking away, and he's like, Why is my face wet? And he's crying. And he's like... I'm walking away because I got to basically save my friend. Like, they showed him so much kindness more than, like, any other dog has ever showed him or his humans because he actually lost a fight and he was thrown out and beaten by his humans because he lost the fight. Mm. And GB and Weed and all of that, all of them just showed him so much kindness. He had, like... He didn't even realize he turned into a, a face character and went out to defend the other face ca- faces. Ha, surprise face her. And now I'm I'm just getting like thinking about it, and my little ear, my little eyeballs are getting moist. Before we move on to the, one of the next subjects on that one, I kind of have to talk about one of the bigger ones in most cases, especially through the '90s. Tommy Oliver, the Green yep. Ranger. I was about to just say that one. Actually, Mm -hmm. Tommy is a perfect uh, power friendship character. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's so big. Not only does he stay as the Green Ranger that that works for Mighty Morphin, he also becomes the Red Ranger in another series. Yep. And the Black Ranger. As well as the White Ranger. Can't forget that, too. Rest in peace, Jason David Frank. You've never got the chance, and you want to see the impressiveness of Tommy Oliver. There's one particular episode which is considered the best episode of all of Power Rangers, Forever Red, that's the name of the episode, which is all a Red Ranger from the original all the way up until Wild Force. Every yep. Red Ranger has a team up on that. Amazing. Oh. 
God, I think I remember like seeing that too. And honestly, that was just a wonderful moment. Mm-hmm. My favorite part about this, and I kind of want to get into this into an- another podcast episode, is the choreography on that thing is amazing because each of the Rangers fight the way the Ranger, that particular character, would fight. And they all fight slightly differently. And anyone who's done, even for pro wrestling choreography, having a separate moveset like that, it's trickier to do it for each person individually. But if you can pull it off, it looks amazing. You want to do another one that's power of friendship, too. If we go back to pro wrestling, we can always talk about Daniel uh, Daniel Bryan and uh, Kane. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Gimmick was the power of friendship. <laughs> and it's like, and just like the, the greatest and loudest, just like, hug it out. Hug it out. Hug it yeah, out. Yeah, exactly. That's actually what spawned the whole hug it out thing right there was uh, <laughs> the power of friendship was those two. Power. So, oh, man. team hell no. Yep. Team hell no. Oh my God. I want to get that chant going. <laughs> so, let me move on to the next one, Mark. So, the next one of these heel face turns that I really like is, and this one is kind of an interesting one called basically paying a debt. They're no longer the villain of the story, but they're not going to owe you one. They may still do some of their same stuff that they do, but for all intents and purposes, they become more of a good guy character and they just stick with that throughout the rest of the series. But they're not actually doing that because main characters, our heroes, have done something and he feels that he owes them one. The most famous one that I can think of off the top of my head, though, for that, to explain only owing a debt, if you ever watch the old show Gargoyles, with David Xanatos. <laughs> David Xanatos is the villain through most of this episode. And a gloriously smart villain. I am definitely doing an episode about magnificent bastards and chess masters. Because those type of villains are the ones I love. And he basically would have kept being a villain until at one point when what's called the Avalon arc. Goliath and his crew and some of the members of his crew go to the island of Avalon. When they come out of the island of Avalon, they end up back in New York City. In there... The king of the, of the fairies, uh, Oberon, he realizes that his wife, while she was in human form, had a child. This is Fox. And Fox didn't so, show any kind of magical powers on this. He, uh, Fox was basically treated like Oberon didn't care. However, Fox has a son, uh, has a child, and her son is uh, Oberon's like wanting to basically steal this kid so that way he can take him back to the island of Oberon and adopt forcibly adopt them and david xanatos being xanatos is like you know what i don't care if you're the king of the of the fairies i don't care if you're a god that's my kid you don't mess with my kid and goliath could have just stayed away instead he decides to help out uh xanatos goes in there fights off oberon and they barely make it out uh, make it out alive from, from that fight but after saving his kid he changes his ways and decides to let the gargoyles stay at, uh, back at the castle that he already owned, even though they were still, even, even up to that point, at each other's throats. He just feels like he owes them one for saving his kid. And the but least that he can do is give them back, let them stay at their ancestral home. However, he still does kind of weird bad stuff, just not as bad as it used to be. But yeah, this is sort of you're owing a favor of, uh, of a hero. It's rare when you see that, but it does come up. So... I got one that mm-hmm. I think is definitely more appropriate than the power of friendship. My favorite guy who allegedly re- joined the good guys, Hie from Yu Yu Hakusho. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. Oh, right? yeah. And this actually fits because I think, wasn't it part of like... It was a whole thing where I think like it was almost... Wasn't like a... I want to say it was almost like a part of his sentence where like after Yusuke kicked his ass, 
he was literally just forced to join them and go on their missions. And it's like, oh no, he will still do like some of the baddest shit. Don't get me wrong. I still remember for uh, the freaking demon tournament. He straight went into a full fight where he was straight up ready to kill someone who was going to give him surgery that he needed. And it was like, yeah, I remember that. He threw a giant elephant tusk and he dodged it, cut his own arm off, and then used his own tusk to cut his face off. And it's like, yeah, no, that's that's still Hiei. That's still Hiei. Yeah, 100% still Hiei. <laughs> that's our Hiei. And then he comes back with the rest of the guys like, so how's your training? <sighs> All right, cool. Still buddies. Let's go. <laughs> um, Yeah, because it was part of a almost pardon system. I know, uh, was it, uh, not Hiei, uh, the fox, the... Karama. Karama. It's part. It was part of a of a um, like parole system. Yep. They wouldn't be punished if they were part of this tournament. Oh yeah, and and actually, man, Karama would actually be perfect for just like power of friendship because right off the bat, he's like, "Will you help me save my mom?" Mm-hmm. Karama was a power of friendship. He, on the other hand, oh no, he he does no, it because he has to. He, he well, just wants to get off, get off parole, but he becomes friends. He does it because he has to, and then he also starts to recognize that Yukina, his sister, mm-hmm. yep. you know, he starts to realize that she's been associating more with uh, Kurabara. Um, it was a pretty good relationship between the two. Worst character ever. <laughs> but Sammy John, I thought we were going to be together forever. I will leave you <laughs> outside and lock the door. I will say that the voice, though, for Kuwabara was still well done. I mean, I mean, you may not agree <laughs> with it, but it was still a pretty decent I'm voice not, for not, that. I'm not not so. agree with it. I'm just saying he's annoying. Oh, I mean, <laughs> he, needs, yeah. he needs a cough drop. Well, he yeah. A, a cough drop to wash down my demon dog donut. Like, sir, <laughs> some tea with honey in it. Like I said, that was the thing about Hiei, was that, you know, it's like, because you, you're right, because that was basically was his whole thing, because, like, the first episode, I think he was in the first four episodes, but he basically was just the demon who ended up stealing this one item, and it was just for the purpose of doing it at that time. You didn't really know what his motives were. He was just this guy right. stole from, uh, I think it was King Quima? Oh, no, no, he straight stole from, like, the, the King of Hell, and it was, like, the three, like, um... Yeah, that's right. Because well, because I remember that Kurama had like this little spirit that could grant a wish and offer for his soul. Some other dude had a thing that carried souls and just he was over just eight souls. Yeah, he was, he, he was eating he children's had, souls. Yeah, yeah, and I believe he actually had a cursed sword, which is what also helped him turn all green and eyeball-y. Yep, that's what it was. It was a cursed sword. But I mean, eventually, you know, he gets his. As you said, he gets the shit kicked out of him by Yusuke. Which again, that like I've, I, I'm a huge fan of Yu Yu Hakusho. show. That was actually yes. one of my very first animes that I watched. I fucking love that series classic but i, I mean i like I, I always love it because of that one exchange just between yusuke and kurabara where kurabara showing off his spirit sword and he's just like he's like see this thing is better than your pathetic little spirit gun and then uh, fucking yusuke flips him off goes well that just depends on what finger i'm using and i just started <laughs> laughing at that I was like that was great and i was like but, that is beautiful yeah, but that was like one of those things that's like, because he is a great one. He's a, actually a heel face turn. He's a perfect heel face turn, actually. He really is. Because he does go from being this shitty bad guy to a really, actually solid good guy that eventually starts, and people start to realize that they could trust on Hie to get the job done. He's aloof, because that also falls underneath another trope, which is the aloof ally trope. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's like at the end of the day, he seems. I, I would actually kind of say he is probably more of a tweener throughout most of that because he does still do things questionably bad. Cause you have to remember the black dragon wave. Like what mm. the heck was the whole point behind that thing? Well, that's literally is an attack that he has that can consume everything. 
you know, it doesn't matter what it is. It hits friends, foes, all everything. So, you know, it's like, you think about that, that still kind of puts him as a tweener, Mm -hmm. but, but then he doesn't, he still controls it. He's still able to keep control of it and get things squared away with that. So yeah, he is a perfect example of a good heel face turn. Um, and I know we're gonna, we're probably gonna have to wrap it up here pretty soon too. But there's another one as well that I would like to recommend, like that we should, that we should actually address and talk about because this mm. is the most iconic character in anime uh, series, which is, and I've already name dropped him earlier. It's it's going to be the you know the Prince of Saiyans, Vegeta. Yeah. So this is where I was going to get that. Sometimes you have the weirdo one-offs of your heel face turn that you know they're they're a heel face turn because well. I guess it happened, because Vegeta basically, oh, what is it? Doesn't he lose to Goku mm-hmm. in a fight? And decides to, I'm going to go train until I can beat Goku. Kinda. Yes and no, so... So I can't remember what happens after the Saiyan arc, but I remember what okay, happens so after that. Okay, so, basically after the Saiyan arc, because I, I, I actually just went through all Dragon Ball Z again, because I fucking love Dragon Ball Z, and um, honestly, if anybody ever wants Dragon Ball Z, watch Dragon Ball Z Kai, because that's going to be more or less the abridged version of Dragon Ball Z. We take out all the unnecessary fight scenes, uh, Frieza and Goku from the whatever season that was, but that's the Namek saga. But yeah, that takes a while. Just like the the constant repeat of every fight scene over and over again. Yeah, but um, but, but like I said though it's like because Vegeta's whole situation was that he got his ass beaten uh, beaten by Goku. Which you know it was unheard of for him. His 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 prince and his warrior pride had been wounded at that point. So what does he do? He like you know Goku lets him go, and he thinks Goku's an idiot for letting him go because he's just like he even said it to us like you got to stop being soft. I'm going to come back and kill you. And that was his goal for a good chunk of the series was that eventually he was going to turn on Goku and kill him. But then obviously as time progressed, he started to not have those feelings as much because you have the time skip that happens too. But you know after. He leaves from the Saiyan saga. He goes back, which goes into the Frieza, the Namek saga. You know, Vegeta shows up again. This time he's trying to gather the Dragon Balls because he wants to become a Super Saiyan. And you think initially it's like he he never he never deters from his path. The whole reason why he wanted to become a Super Saiyan was, of course, to defeat Goku, but also to kill Frieza because he found out the truth of what happened to planet Vegeta. Uh, which at that point was like, you know, Frieza had taken out all the Saiyans, blowing up planet Vegeta, but then, you know, was playing it off like he didn't do anything. And Frieza's the ultimate heel. Like, there is oh, no, yeah. even as Super, despite the fact that he did what was necessary to save the universe, he's still the ultimate oh, no. heel. That, that was a temporary alliance. That, that yeah, a- that's, that is 100% a temporary alliance. So that is the ends justify the means type of alliance right there. Um, and that is not a heel face turn. If no, only that is not. I was going to say, but for Vegeta's sake, though, because to kind of touch base on that and finish up with this, though, too, was that, you know, at the end of it all, he found that he didn't need the Dragon Balls to become a Super Saiyan. It was just, and they did kind of clarify basically what it, what causes you to become a Super Saiyan. It's pure rage. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like the monkey form is a non-Super Saiyan form, but it is a it is as powerful as a Super Saiyan, but you don't have control over that. Only Vegeta actually ever truly learned how to control it, but every other Saiyan that's ever turned into the giant monkey has been just straight up, it's just a berserker. Like oh, yeah. you are you are brawly essentially inherent at that point. But Vegeta was the only one who could actually legitimately control it, which is why that he was such a threat. But when they took out his tail, there goes the monkey form Vegeta. But then um, by the end of the Frieza saga, though, you know, Frieza dies or Frieza Vegeta dies um, because Frieza blasts a hole right through his chest, kills him. And although that was just kind of like one of those like, eh, he's 
Vegeta's dead kind of whatever deal. It's like you start to realize that he wasn't super bad because he started to find the truth and he told Goku everything that happened about Planet Namek and why he's doing or not Namek but uh, Planet Vegeta and why he was doing what he was doing. You know, it's still really hard to feel for Vegeta because Vegeta still did a lot of bad shit. I um, believe he cut uh, Krillin in half. Uh, yeah, he cut Krillin in half. He's He, he basically just, he fucked up the Z-Warriors pretty bad when mm. uh, the Saiyan Saga happened. Um, oh, yeah. But uh, you know, then by the end of it all, uh, at the end of the at the end of the Namek slash Frieza saga, we move on to uh, the Great Saiyan Saga, which is, of course, that's when you start to see a little bit more of like Vegeta trying to adapt to Hold up. what human life is like. What What's up, Cell man? Saga? No, you're talking about the Cell Saga first. The oh, that's right. Cell Saga happens first. Well, no, that's right. That's right. The Android yeah, Saga. Because yeah, yeah, I went out of order there. Yeah, yeah. Actually, that one was, was definitely showed a lot more of the redemption arc that. Or Vegeta. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I, and I that's, ha- that's all because of Bulma. Like Bulma's yeah. learned the thing that turned him around. She, yep, and also I like the the quick tease we end up having it with just like future Trunks coming in for a moment, just like yeah, Vegeta's kid, and just like what 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 happened there? It's like I don't know, but he chilled a little more after. <laughs> well, and it's because it, it becomes pretty obvious because it's like you know you have that scene where uh, I can't remember what happens exactly, but Bulma and Vegeta get into mm-hmm. it. And then she does something. It's like she says something to him. She like puts his finger on his chest. And it's like obviously she's not backing down from because Bulma's you know the, the, the strong no, strong man. female character. And oh, yeah. you know she's like she's like no, nah, Miss, are you fucking back down? You, you listen to me, yada yada yada. And even though super like even though super kind of copped out the reasoning behind why they did that, mm-hmm. um, which I will say they they hundred percent did. But you know it was a uh, Vegeta's like whoa holy crap there's this woman who's willing to stand up to me maybe she herself could be a saiyan type deal because like that sort of thinking wasn't exactly oh, wrong I, I definitely do love that they actually did explain why goku and vegeta like women like chi chi and bulma mm-hmm. that's because they're they're strong-headed they're just like saiyans which is exactly what it was it's like saiyans only are attracted to strong women it's like oh <laughs> and, and that's why that's why piccolo does a it all makes sense now <laughs> um but yeah uh but if vegeta if it wasn't for Bulma, for the most part, yeah, Vegeta has no problem just uh, laying waste. I think he gets he gets extra power from Majin Buu. Uh, so oh my he god! Majin. No, don't no. Yes, don't we're reli- we're reliving this. No, that broke my heart. That's exactly what it was, though, because he realized that you know at the end of the day he still needed to be better than Goku, and he yeah. was willing to do whatever it took to get to that point, and he took the powers of the Majin. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so but still. He did a, a face heel turn. He just uh, also he will wreck a guy. I was going to say, a good heel to face, and that is Piccolo. Yes. Yeah. Because yeah. mm-hmm. he was definitely a straight enemy. Piccolo in Dragon Ball is a Aww. villain. He became like a pseudo-daddy, and then, like, just, it a melted him. He became, a, he became a better dad. Oh, God, yes. Uh, I can argue he, that he was—he was a good stand-in dad when he Goku was, he wasn't was, around. He was a good mentor. I don't know if I agree with him being a better dad though, because if you think about it, during the Cell Saga, how many times did he doubt Gohan's ability to defeat Cell, where Goku was constantly rallying behind Gohan, saying, "You can Actually, do this." That's true. He, yeah, he he, there. there was a ton of times where Go like because there's like there's two different sides to being a dad. Like as mm-hmm. a person, as a dad myself, there's two different sides. There is the I must protect my son at all costs. I will never let my son get hurt. Yada yada yada. And then there's the dad is like, 
dude, I know you're capable of doing this. Get your ass out there. You can prove to the world that you're better than what they think you are. And that's what it is. Like it's like we're, we're okay. kind of conditioned to, to basically like, and this this drives me crazy as a parent because you know it's like we're conditioned to think like, oh, no matter what, our children are our children, and we have to protect protect them at all costs. But let's be real here: children are fucking legally dumb until the age of thirteen. <laughs> you know, so. And, Isn't that the truth? And oh, I yeah. love my sons. Both of my sons are wonderful. I think they're excellent kids. <laughs> but I will be very real with you. If I don't say that at some point or another, it's one of those literally like, dude, you're going to have to just learn to fall on your face before you finally get it. That what I'm trying to warn you about is what's going to happen. And that's kind of what it is. That's why it's like, I appreciate the, the, the dad dynamic of Goku and Piccolo, but I will still stand behind Goku personally as the actual dad because Goku is the reason why no, Gohan he's... did defeat Cell. Mm-hmm. He's definitely a lot more encouraging than Piccolo's. Hundred percent. Give that one. It's I, not, it's I was, not, I was oh, just saying because he kind of took over some dad roles with him and like kind of kept yeah. him safe. That's well, yeah. what I was getting at. I wasn't well, trying like, to think he, he was not wrong. Be- between anything. the two of them, is like if defuse, they'd probably be really great dead. No, no, hundred percent. And you're not wrong on this one, Sammy, because he did. Because it's like even even during the super arc, he still he still has that whole thing where it's like Gohan. I know you had a lot of power in you. What happened to all that? Hey, we need to get this out of you. So it's like you know, Piccolo starts to realize right. that what Goku was doing was the right way of going about doing it. Mm-hmm. So that's why Go- like Piccolo started being a little more accepting. Plus, also Gohan's an adult and. A- adult Gohan can make his own decisions and Piccolo realizes that it's actually if anything if you get right down to it I always loved the the parent dynamics that they displayed in Dragon Ball because you had Vegeta who's just straight up the hard-ass dad but at the end of the day he really did care about his kids I mean look what happened when uh look what happened when uh uh Trunks' sister uh forget what his name is it bro is it bro yeah it's bro okay yeah when bro gets born you know it's like (laughs) Trunks is holding her incorrectly and Vegeta, you know, it's like Trunks walks up to her and like walks up to Vegeta, and Vegeta's like, "What do you want?" And it's like obviously he's annoyed because everyone's uh, like basically around his daughter, and like I, as a dad, when like when everybody was ho- uh, hovering around both my kids, I get I got fucking annoyed because it's like, "Hey, that's my kid. I'm the one who wants to hold him." So I <laughs> felt for Vegeta. So what happens is like you know Trunks comes over the bra, and he's like he's like, "Here, Dad, do you want to hold bra?" And like Vegeta looks over him, it's just like that. <sighs> You're doing it wrong. Let me show you how to properly do it. It's like, <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's like that is like a true Saiyan warrior knows how to properly yeah, hold the younglings. I'm gonna look that clip up now. Yeah, but that's my thing though, because it's just like you know, it's like this one is just like as the parent dynamic. I actually love Dragon Ball for this exact reason because if you really get down to it, Bulma's a great mom. Chi Chi is a great mom, even though Chi Chi is Tiger Mom, hundred oh, percent Tiger Mom, helicopter mom. Fucking God bless Gohan for how good he turned out, right? And then you had, uh, you know, Goku is the super supportive dad. I believe in you, son. Even though your ass is going to get handed to you ten times, like ten ways past Sunday, I stand behind you because I know you can do this. Piccolo is the protective. Yo, you go on. You're gonna get your ass handed to you, dude. Let's not do that sort of a thing. And it's like that's why it's like I love the dynamics, but the fact is, is that at the end of the day. Dragon Ball had really good, you know, casting for its characters. Like every single mm-hmm. one of them was awesome. But for the feel, but back on topic for the heel face turn though. Oh yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Vegeta is a heel face. Piccolo mm-hmm. is a heel face, heel face. and Majin Buu is Ooh. a heel face. Oh my god! That, honestly, that was probably the cutest like heel face. I love that. Majin Buu's heel and, face. 
It's like, and the thing is, it also happens so quick because, like, when you stop, like, can we stop thinking about, yeah, he's a big, like, bubbly dude with just all this power and just wants to eat and destroy. But it's like, hold on, though. But what made him actually think of just like, oh, I have to be terrifying. I have to be this the entire time to get respect from everyone because that's what, you know, that's what Bobby taught me. And then, like, a blind kid just found him. He cured his eye. They treated him like Jesus. And he's like, oh, my God, thank you so much. And he's like, what am I? It's like, you're super cool. It's like, I'm cool. I'm cool. And, and then, then he just Mr. Got... Sa- and Mr. Satan sees this too. Keep in mind, because like Bajabu is the greatest redemption arc out of all of them, because he was deemed the ultimate evil. A small child started him down the right path. Mr. Satan saw this, and then the power of friendship brought Boo over. <laughs> that was the cutest thing I've ever watched. Oh! Are you talking about the uh, Vegeta with uh? No, with, I uh, had Brock? to look it up. I looked it up. Oh my <laughs> yeah. god, that was just. The, and he's like, "I've picked a name. We're gonna call her Bula. That's not. I want to give her a traditional Saiyan name. Damn it! Like, like ah! celery. Like, like celery. He was, like he was so passionate about it. Like, but that's what I'm this. saying. Like Vegeta <laughs> is Vegeta. Right down at the end of the day, is an amazing. And it's like, but again, Vegeta's like his whole thing is like you know you're talking about that Leo. It's like one off, kinda. It's mostly because Vegeta probably has one of the most compelling story arcs for a mm-hmm. bad guy to become a good he, guy is he why really he's does. such a weird one-off. But it's yeah. if you think about it, though, he's got the power of friendship. He's got a woman in him that believed in him and helped him convinced him that, you know, there's more to life than just conquering. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, you have, like, my greatest rival ends up being my greatest friend, but he's still my greatest mm-hmm. rival because fuck that guy. I'm going to be better than him, <laughs> you know? And that, that's, that's kind of the whole thing about Vegeta, yeah. so... You want another really weird one that's up? Kronk is literally Kronk, spinach. Oh, Kronk. yeah. Oh, he, my God. He is, he is basically ride for die unless someone insults his cooking. After that, that hurts him. That hurts him. You insult <laughs> his like, cooking. But he he's really just like a a himbo-like henchman the entire yeah. time. And it's just he like... Is. No, he is. The Emperor's New Groove is hilarious. Dude. Oh, God. Oh, but yeah. Honestly... You even watch the whole movie up until the point about spinach puffs. He's in mm-hmm. as a henchman. He's good to go. Yep. So actually, it was one that actually uh, crossed my mind, and I don't know why. I <laughs> almost forgot about him. Mm. Is Frankie from One Piece? Because he's oh, actually yeah. he because he's their shipwright. But mm. I remember when they first met him, he was like. He, when they first met, he absolutely hated pirates. He loathed them. As a matter of fact, him and an entire crew was something called the Frankly family, and they were literally ship dismantlers. So their whole purpose when the moment you saw him is, I'm going to fight you. I'm going to fight your ship. And their first meetup is just like Frankie and Luffy fighting one another. But then because like you end up finding out about the whole like backstory and just like, okay, why is he such a dick? It's like, what's going on here? And then they end up stealing their other enemy to a friend who was literally part of an assassin's guild and tried killing them. Robin, and somehow that one at the end of that, actually, that would probably go more of just like there's a bigger enemy on that, which is like the world government, because you end up finding out that like Robin was literally just like discriminated because she found out about world knowledge, and Frankie just like no, it's just like he had an entire thing of guilt on him because his ships killed his mentor. Yeah, that's about all the ones I can think of that are actually those are sort of your generic ways to go. There is uh, this trope just keeps coming up because honestly, as our storytelling part. Watching someone go from a ba- from being the bad guy into a good guy just is, in some cases, like with Majin Buu, heartwarming. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. other ones, like Tommy Oliver, is just super cool to watch. Yep. And then sometimes you have, like, Kronk, it just comes out of left field. Eh, let's, ride with, let's ride with this, see where this goes. Don't insult a man's spinach puffs. 
And sometimes <laughs> you, you you just got someone who just wants to get up parole. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes it just, it happens. So yeah, that's about it. Before I cut off this episode, then, um, if you guys have any last minute fa- uh, heel face turns that you really love, just go ahead and let them out so, real quick. I think I was, I was thinking of this one. Um, remember this in the Flareverse Captain Cold? Yes, in uh, Captain Cold yeah. and then Cap- yeah. uh, Citizen Cold. Yep, full on enemy in the Flash. And then what ended up changing a lot is that he sort of became like somewhat of anti-hero when he joined the Legends and Legend of Tomorrow. But then yes. like, I think slowly, um, like I haven't seen a lot of Legends, but, I have, but the ones I have seen, is, mm. have you'll see just like, no, no, he still has this like Captain Cold ways, but he's slowly becoming more and more of a good guy until the end where he's like, he's literally laughing at himself and just like, am I really about to suck myself to save the heroes? He's like, shit, I even I didn't think I would do this one day. Wow, I didn't even see that. I didn't see that one coming. Yeah, no, um, yeah, Captain Cold is, it was a good art too. Plus I love the actor who plays Captain Cold. Oh it's God, amazing. that dude's a fantastic actor. Oh, I love Wentworth. He just, I love him. He's so wonderful. A weird one. Love what they did with it is Seven of Nine in Star Trek uh, Voyager. Yep, that's Yay. another one. They just sort of slid it in, but it uh, but it takes a while for for the whole crew to trust her, but mostly because she's Borg. They do mm. a fa- one thing. Well, and I mean that's that's mm. that's just xenophobia and it's as a whole is what that is uh, too. If you get right down to mm. it, I mean, like that's the thing about I love about Star Trek is that it really touches on a lot of subjects that are kind of taboo to really talk about. But xenophobia is legitimately a subject that is. A real thing mm-hmm. it's out there people are afraid of somebody because of what they were and even though like yeah in the case of seven to nine she's borg um she, now she's half borg well like quarter borg now technically with all the implants mostly removed out of here obviously the ones that they couldn't mm-hmm. remove out like the optical implants whatnot that has to stay in but i mean like like and i actually recommend this to anybody too if you've not seen um picard I actually do recommend it because the uh, um, it's kind of interesting to see what Seven and Nine's life ends up being like outside of what happens in Voyager. Because mm. you know she's in Picard, she's in season one, she's in season two, and she's in season three. And in season three, she becomes a major character. I didn't really care too much about her in season two, but that's just because like I feel like a lot of the stuff they did for season two was just they were moving at a breakneck speed and they were trying to involve a lot of stuff that mm-hmm. really needed time to cook and organic to be organic. Mm-hmm. And that was my biggest issue with season two, which just, there was just, you got this big threat going on, but uh, you know, we're going to take this, like take every single episode of this season and touch base on stuff. That's like, yeah, but you got a real big threat going on. You really should kind of focus on this threat, but you know, we're going to talk about this other subject. It's like, mm-hmm. but, but the threat, the yeah. threat, come on. But then in season three, though, it's like season three, I seven to nine has probably been my favorite character of season three because just the way they portrayed her, she's back to being seven to nine. Hey, I'm still trying to figure out how I'm doing things. I'm still trying to adjust my life. Mm. But at the same time, too, it's a uh, I don't take shit from people. Yeah. And I that's the best. That's the best of seven to nine. Uh, one other one I, I want to bring up real quick. Um, Xena from Xena, the warrior princess. That's because before Xena, she was a villain. Yeah, she in was Hercules: The Legendary Journeys. Yep, and it's just hanging out with Hercules gets her to and doing naturally good things is what gets her to do it. Although she is, can still un, uh, take down people left and right. It's I mean, hilarious. come on, she nearly takes out Ares by herself. Mm-hmm. Like she, but she's yeah, just a human. Princess. Yeah, but she's just a human. Yeah, uh-huh. and if Xena, just to let you know, um, starts off as a villain, ends up with a spinoff. 
Yep. Ends up with one of the better. Ends up ends up with the better spinoff, in my opinion. I Absolutely. love every episode of Xena. That was the whole reason why I was always hoping I get done bowling every Saturday morning, get done with the bowling <laughs> league, and come home and watch the two episodes, to watch the two seasons. Because I like I, that's a guilty pleasure of mine. That again, I love anything Greek mythology. Like I've said it numerous <laughs> times. Like whenever, like you know, like in the upcoming Nibble Snarf uh, uh, video that's going to get dropped here pretty soon for the dinner reviews, I gushed <laughs> about it in that. And you I mean you guys know me personally? If it's Greek mythology, I'm a hundred percent fucking in because I just love <laughs> that sort of shit. Even the <laughs> jokes in the comics that are made about the characters out there, it doesn't stop being funny to me because it's like, what if it was like that? Yeah, I kind of could see that, like type deal. But with that being said, though, I know that we are um, we're pretty much at the end of the podcast here because I actually have to wrap uh, yeah. up myself because I got work in eight hours. So <laughs> yeah, uh, real quick, Sammy and Ben, do you guys have any other ones that you want to uh, list out? No, but may I plug Club again? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Go ahead and do that real quick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I want to say thank you to the Geek Scorpio for bringing us uh, members of Wrestle Club Idaho onto this podcast to talk about faces and heels. I want to invite you once more to follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash ID Wrestle Club, Instagram.com slash Wrestle Club, YouTube.com slash Wrestle Club. Remember to like, subscribe, and comment on our videos. It helps with our algorithm. And please go to Facebook.com slash Idaho Wrestle Club. Leave us a like, press that like button again, and put us in your favorites so you will be first to be notified when we go live or update any of our events. And we hope that we will see you at the ring. Mm-hmm. And with yeah. that being said, um, our next episode will be available May 5th. Glad to have you guys in here, and thanks for listening to this episode. And this is the Aiming Theater Podcast. Logging out. Bye, everybody. Bye. Gaming Theater Podcast is hosted, created, produced, and edited by Leo Garcia, the Geek Scorpio. Our music is A Drinking Game. Stock media provided by Stormwave Audio slash Pond5. Our cover art is by Adam Parker. You can find him at ParkerGFX on Twitter. If you want to send us some money to help with these episodes, you can do so at Patreon.com slash Gaming Theater Presents. Want to send support that doesn't hit your wallet? Please leave a review with wherever you hear your podcasts and share our podcast with your friends. It really helps out. Thank you for listening.